Hi, I'm Aida. And I'm Haley. And welcome back to this week's episode of Fly on the Wall. This week, we're bringing you Kate Nocera, but before we get started, want to make sure you're following us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Fly on the Wall Pod, or you can always email us with comments and questions at flyonthewallpodcast at gmail.com. Kate Nocera is the DC Bureau Chief for BuzzFeed News and a Spring 2020 Geopolitics Fellow. Before working at BuzzFeed, she worked at Politico in Political Pulse and then as a congressional reporter. She's now been at BuzzFeed News since 2013, where she edits and manages a team of reporters who cover Capitol Hill, the DOJ, the Trump presidency, and the 2020 campaign. Kate Nocera, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, You entered journalism at a time when traditional newspapers were dying and when the industry was going through rapid transformation. How did you find your way to journalism? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Probably pretty stupid in retrospect to try and jump into journalism in 2008 when uh, the market was crashing around me. But um, I so I graduated from college with a degree in sociology. And there's not really a whole lot you can do with a degree in sociology except go back to grad school for a very long time. And that was not something I was interested in doing. But I realized that sociology is just very long journalism and that journalism might be more appealing of an option to me. My dad was a journalist, and so I avoided it, I think, for a little bit longer than I maybe otherwise would have. But by the time I came around to it, um, I didn't really have any journalism experience. I took like two really game-changing courses at the end of my time in college that made me love it. Um, but I didn't like have clips or anything. So I knew I had to go back to grad school and, um, the city university of New York, their graduate school of journalism had just opened. I applied with like days to spare (laughs) and somehow got in. And that's, and that's how I started on this journey. So you started your career in New York and you were covering local stories. What prompted you to move to Politico and political journalism? Yeah, again, it had a lot to do with the state of the economy, which was that there were no jobs in journalism Uh, (laughs) at the end of 2009. I was what you would call, uh, what we called at the time, a permalancer. They don't do this anymore, but at the New York Daily News, it was sort of an abusive system where you would work five days a week on a schedule, but I was not a full-time employee. And they paid me, like, in cash, no health insurance. They called me in the morning and said, like, we need you to go to this place, you know, run to this place. And so I would work, like, five or six shifts a week. And that was just not sustainable for my life. Eventually, my shifts became midnight to 8 a.m., and that was extra not sustainable to my life. I mean, I learned a lot, like... I went to neighborhoods I never would have otherwise gone to. I uh, became proficient at parallel parking. I'm a master at it. And I also, you know, I saw a lot of horrible things. And um, my brain was just sort of whacked by the end of it. And I knew that if I was going to really do journalism, I needed to expand my horizons. My mentor... Um, one of my mentors, uh, David Carr, who's passed away, uh, he was the media columnist at the New York Times. He said, you know, you gotta, you gotta go to DC for like a year. You gotta play the game, see how you like it. 
um, one year, you're young, get over yourself, go. And <laughs> I went and that was it for me, you know, like I thought I was going to be here a year, but I ended up falling in love with this place and, um, and love the work I was able to do here, you know? So, and there were jobs here. I mean, the, the <laughs> yeah, thing, the really thing about DC is that, uh, it's people sometimes say it's recession proof. I don't know how true that is, especially in media. I don't think media is a very recession proof industry, but Politico pro was launching at the time. And that was a really interesting new business model. And they had lots and lots and lots of jobs available. So, <laughs> yeah. And you also briefly worked in private sector communications. Yeah. And what stands out to you about that experience? And why <laughs> did you leap back into political journalism so quickly right okay. after? <laughs> so I was there for like two weeks. So end of 2015, I was pretty tired. It happens. <laughs> I also didn't really know how to have conversations about what I wanted to do next in my career. Um, and I was also falling in love with my husband and the campaign was on the horizon. And I knew that if I went on the campaign, this relationship was probably not going to make it. Because it's the like campaign at the time that, well, the Trump. Trump Clinton 20 you know the 2016 election it was still in the primaries you know Trump would not been a nominee but I knew that I was gonna have to go do that and that was not something I wanted to do because I really liked this cute guy that I was dating and um and so I thought that I had to leave now I didn't actually in retrospect 2020 is always you know perfect vision I should have had a conversation about what else I wanted to do but I also wanted to see what life was like on the other side and I had a lot of hubris and I thought it was going to be very easy it is not very easy <laughs> it is a very 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 hard demanding job and you have to kind of throw yourself at reporters and believe in things that you may not necessarily feel particularly jazzed about believing in every day. It's just not where I was. It's not what I was trained to do. About two weeks in, I knew I had made the wrong decision. Wow. So now you've made your way back to politics. You're but I did oh. get married. Yay. So that's like it worked out. So it worked out. It worked out. And I came back to journalism. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And even better than that, you're DC bureau chief for BuzzFeed News. I know. I fell. I totally <laughs> fell upward. Yeah. yeah. What does your day to day look like? Oh, that's a great question. And I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's the thing. I wake up in the morning. I look at Twitter. I think about what we need to get done that day. Sometimes I'm just in dumb administrative meetings all day. Sometimes I'm editing five stories. Sometimes I'm working with our breaking news team or our tech team on like a big project um, that needs to get done. I'm vetting a lot of stuff that has ties to politics. Currently, I am planning our um, trips to the RNC and the DNC, which is a logistical nightmare, let me just tell you. Um, and then, yeah talking to reporters, making sure they're, you know, sleeping at least three to four hours during this time. <laughs> um, and just generally trying to be a support system for the people that work for, for BuzzFeed. 
Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about um, a specific piece you covered. Sure. So after the 2017 shooting of Republican legislators and staffers during their practice for the congressional baseball game, you and your colleague, Lysandra Villa, wrote a comprehensive long-form piece capturing yeah. the event. Um, can you take us through the process of retelling the story of such a sensitive event? Yeah. Um, that idea came from the genius brain of Catherine Miller, uh, who was a po- our politics editor, And uh, she just, a year later, she thought it would be really interesting to speak to everyone who had been through a significant amount of trauma. Like, that is a significant trauma to have to go through and then to show up at your job every day knowing that that could maybe happen again. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, Lisa and I had... Oh, so I was going to take the lead... Lisa, who is who is an amazing reporter, she's at Time Magazine now. She was on Capitol. She was a Capitol Hill reporter, and um, she had connections that I didn't have. You know, when you're there every day, you make connections that um, that you lose when you're not there every day. Um, so I roped her into helping me. I was her boss, so she didn't have a choice. <laughs> um, and we uh, went through old news clippings. We found everyone who was there or who'd been quoted that day or, um, the, from, like, the EMS people. Um, and once we got a couple people who agreed to talk to us, it was very easy to get the rest of them to talk to us. Um, writing it was a... T- was a writing is my least favorite part of the whole process. I love reporting. I love editing. I do not like writing. I hate it, in fact. So that was a bit of a bear. Um, but uh, I think it came out I think it came out really well and it was one of those it, it's like the thing I'm probably the most proud of that I've that I've ever written. Yeah. And what is it like? to release such a piece oh wow it's like giving it's i don't know i've never given birth but i I imagine (laughs) it's kind of like that i mean there's so much anxiety there's so much buildup, and once you say okay i'm done like you're tweaking it to like the last minute and then you're like i'm done and this is gonna like be out in the world for everyone to see and there's you know you want the reaction to be good it it was definitely like it was definitely anxiety provoking, but I was super, super happy with the reaction to it. Um, you know, for other people, when I'm editing people, it is my job to uh, get them in that place where it's okay to say we're going to publish now. Um, and it's so it's fun to be on the other side to be like, <laughs> remember how it feels, yeah. you know? <laughs> So in politics today, things can be very polarized and reactions can be quite extreme. How do you respond to reactions when you're reporting again? Like, do you take those criticisms to heart and mm-hmm. what, what's your process? I mean, sometimes people have valid criticisms about word choice or bias. Um, I think about it all the time, like as we're writing and editing things. Um, but I also... I also, I, I want to publish stuff that I feel comfortable standing behind and can defend. And so um, I'm never going to like both sides it if I feel like one side is not telling the truth. You know, like we seek out comment and we can say they said this, but that's not true because of X. Um, 
I want stories that people are going to talk about good, bad, or indifferent. So if people are yelling about it, yeah, that's not always the worst thing. <laughs> <laughs> and do you ever get tips for stories? Yeah. Um, so we, we have a tip line at BuzzFeed where you can go on anonymously and send in, you know, I have a tip about this person. You should look into it. We've gotten a lot of great stories that way. One that I worked on. Uh, was about uh, Ruben Kuhn, who's a member of Congress, um, sexually harassing one of his staffers um, during his campaign for Congress. And um, she put in the tip, I can say all this now because she's since, you know, outed herself. Um, but she, you know, she, you know, she put in the tip. I called her. We had a lot of off the record conversations, um, but she she like had the receipts you know what I mean like those conversations are super sensitive because you don't just want to like print whatever someone said but she she had text messages she you know she had people who could validate that she had told them about it at the time and uh and yeah it it um it we published that story it was it was a real problem for him he was going to try to run again he ended up stepping down there was an ethics investigation uh they found that he had done it not only to her but multiple women um so you know that kind of impact feels good even if it's a story about something bad happening to people you want to see like it is it is gratifying and we forget too often that you know that there can be good at the end of at the end of all of this. Are there ever any stories that you just won't touch? <sighs> wow, that's a great question. <laughs> no. I don't think so. That's you know? <laughs> I, I mean, like, if it's a dumb story or a bad... Like, if someone, like, pitches me something stupid and I'm like, that's not what... No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> 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 we won't do it, but, you know, not... Like, risk is not something that, um, that I worry about. I think one nice thing about BuzzFeed is that we're always willing to take big risks and um, have the institutional support to do it. And also our CEO has been incredible in terms of supporting us when, you know, we get sued. Like he never asks, you know, he's like, is this true? Do you have it buttoned up? Um, and the answer is yes. And, you know, can the lawyers defend us? And the answer is yes. And then we defend it in court if we have to. And BuzzFeed in particular has a reputation for being on the cutting edge of interactive interactive digital media. I'm thinking all the BuzzFeed quizzes yeah. that I've ever taken um, and user engagement. So how does this apply to the political realm? Yeah, um, I think what I just said that we're, you know, we're willing to kind of take risks that maybe other places wouldn't take. We, we, we do really stupid quizzes on the news side sometimes. It's not like you know, pick a lunch and we'll tell you which character of BoJack Horseman you are or whatever. Like that's, it's, it's different. It's different in that, you know, we are still telling a news story, but sometimes it's about social media. Sometimes it's about memes, so, you know, <laughs> like we watched the state of the union and like the big moment was like Trump not shaking Pelosi's hand and like her ripping the speech up and like, that's viral and like what the internet is talking about. And so that's kind of where we took that. 
Yeah, so just moving on a little bit, what advice do you have to give students trying to break into the world of political journalism? I would say be experimental. Like, I've talked to so many Georgetown students (laughs) as I've been here who are freaking out over whether they should do communications or whether they should do journalism or, like, what should they do? And the answer is you can do both, you know? Like... I changed my mind at the age of 32, and then I changed my mind back. So at your age, it is super fine to experiment, to try things on. If things don't feel good, you can try something else. You know, I don't think, I think we're in a world today where you're not going to be pigeonholed if you decide to go work on a campaign, you know, when you're 19 or 20. Yeah, and looking forward just in the news landscape, um, the news landscape continues to become more fragmented with people consuming their news in like, tweet size bites or yeah. less. How do you see the nature of political journalism or maybe just journalism in general changing in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think it will be a lot more bite-sized, mm-hmm. um, which is unfortunate. But I also think that people like having long, beautiful stories to ingest when they're ready to do it. You know, I think that like the traffic-obsessed news culture maybe doesn't reward that all the time but you know we've published a lot of like very lengthy stories that get a lot of views because they're really well told um but you know you see like quibi which is uh gonna be a new phone app which is gonna do like bite-sized like news segments on your phone that you can watch like four to six minutes or whatever Axios is very short and to the point, you know, I think that, um, but I think that like, there's always going to be room for great stories, explosive scoops. Um, politics can still surprise. Like yesterday I was shocked that Miss Mitt Romney voted to convict Trump. Um, shocked. And like, I don't really get shocked anymore. So <laughs> so you're a fellow this semester yeah and your discussion group is called the new normal covering politics when old rules don't apply yes what are you trying to cover this semester yeah um the main point is that uh there used to be all these norms and sort of politeness between politicians and the press or at least like on the surface level of like what we could and couldn't do what we could say or not say to each other in public uh, how journalists express themselves on Twitter. None of that it holds true anymore. And so what I'm looking to explore is if that is a good thing or a bad thing. And funny enough, I think it might be both. <laughs> awesome. All right, so we have one last round before you go. It's called Great. the light Great. where we ask you really difficult questions and you give really quick answers. First question, what's your favorite BuzzFeed quiz? Oh, my God. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> That's not a fair question. <laughs> Um, pass. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, what's the best tasty recipe? Because that's also BuzzFeed. <laughs> oh, there's a tasty recipe that I haven't tried yet that I really want to try. That's like that's like potatoes on sticks. It's like a tornado potato on a stick, and you Ooh. like put all these like weird toppings on it. And I really, really would like to try that. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah. Okay. If you could interview anyone, who is the number one person on your list? Um, Michelle Obama is really up there. Just because I didn't, you know, I I didn't cover the White House and um, I didn't really. She's so mysterious to me, you know, <laughs> still. But I think she has a lot to say oh, yeah. these days. <laughs> I would also love to talk to Melania uh, Trump because 
I feel like she probably has a lot to say. But I would want it to be, like, really... Like, I would want, like, her to, like, spill the tea. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like what are you really thinking? Off the record. Yeah. <laughs> Off the record, have a dinner with her. Do you remember when she, she tweeted out that... Have you guys seen this? Like, she tweeted out, it's like a picture of a dolphin and it's just what is she thinking this is in like 2012 <laughs> she tweeted this out and i think about that tweet basically every day and think about what is melania thinking that's so funny awesome kate thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me guys this is fun thanks for listening to this episode of fly on the wall don't forget to check out kate's discussion groups they're on mondays 2 to 3 30 p.m in geopolitics and before you go, make sure you follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Fly on the Wall Pod, or email us with comments or questions. We love to hear from you. Fly on the Wall Podcast at gmail.com. See you next week.